reminded this week of how many volunteers give of their time and their energy and sometimes their money to, to make happen what happens here at Elm Grove. And I realize that without the volunteers that none of what we do is going to happen. And that's just the bottom line, nothing that we do. And uh, I was had the special privilege this week of being the first rider on our new chairlift outside. And if you, if you entered from a different part of the building instead of this side over here where the ramp is and you didn't see it, but Drew Holshue this week had ordered all the parts and all the materials and all, and, and I walked out a couple of times, uh, different times where he was putting it together, and I supervised a little bit and, and made sure that he did everything exactly right and all of that. And so then once it was over and, and I didn't mess it up, he said, hey, do you want to ride it? And I said, yeah, I'll give that a shot. So I got to go up and down a few times, and it's, it's pretty, pretty sharp. So I, just even like that, Drew volunteering his time and, and of course, all those who – who are in here who give of their time over and over again, and certainly folks who are right now with our children and, and all of that. So I just want to say thank you. I know that without you that the ministry that happens here is not going to get done. And so appreciate what you do. And, and you know, there's nothing like giving your life in service to the Lord. Those of you that have experienced that and have selflessly given yourself, you, you know that there's nothing like that. And so for those of you that are sort of riding the fence on do I get involved or not get involved, trust me. If you get involved, then you will experience more of God than you are right now. And, uh, and so anyway, I appreciate all that, that you all do. We have been in a series for the last few weeks. We'll finish this series next Sunday morning called The Greatest Sermon Ever. And we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching what is the greatest sermon ever. This, uh, some folks debate whether he gave all of this at the same time or whether it was a compilation of teaching, regardless it is the greatest sermon ever preached. Whether he preached it from start to finish, from Matthew 5, 1, all the way through the end of Matthew 7, or whether Matthew simply recorded several of his teachings and put it all together. Either way, Jesus gives us the greatest sermon ever. And I, I have gone back to these two verses at the beginning of each sermon in this series for a reason, because I want us to remember what this is about. Every time from this point forward, when you read Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, when you hear somebody talk about the golden rule, when you encounter someone who's got a question or you happen to read the Beatitudes as they're called, I, I want you to remember that it goes back to Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 and 23. After Jesus was baptized and then tempted in the desert, Matthew records that he went around preaching the words, repent, turn around, leave your sin, turn toward God, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The, the spiritual kingdom of God was being ushered in. And then in verse 23, Matthew records that Jesus went around to their synagogues, to their towns, to their cities, and began preaching the good news of the kingdom. Sometimes we have the, I think, misrepresentation a lot of times in our churches and in our lives, and we're all guilty of this from time to time, that, that living the life of a Christian is really not good news. It's just beat you down, and maybe you've got a good luck charm in Jesus to rub the rabbit's foot every once in a while. Maybe things will turn out a little bit differently, but it is the good news of the kingdom. There is no good news apart from the kingdom of God. And so then in verse 1 of chapter 5, we see where Jesus sits down in a position of authority in that day. And as the king himself begins to lay out the terms of his kingdom, we've recapped this every single week, but I don't want us to forget it, that he begins to lay out the fact that he invites us all into his kingdom. The king who should want to have nothing to do with us because of our sin, because of our falling short, but he invites us in. But we must come to him on his terms. We cannot make it up and say, well, 
God, I want to come to you, but you know, I don't like that part of it, so I'm not going to do that. He says, no, you come to me on my terms. In verse 3 of chapter 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who realize that they have nothing to offer to God, those are the ones in position to receive grace from God and salvation. But you know as well as I do, if you've ever tried to come to God and say, well, I'm going to work my way to God, you realize very quickly you can't do that. And then after we've been welcomed into the kingdom, he says, here's your job. You want to know what to do? Now be salt and light in the world. Do your best to rid the world of evil, to promote justice and, and, and God's reign on earth, and, and then to be the light of Jesus Christ. And then we looked at long passage of Scripture in chapter 5 where Jesus challenged, are we going to be devoted or are we just going to be religious? Is what we say on the inside going to match what we do on the outside and so on? And, and then we looked at the things that we do that are even religious activities like giving and praying and fasting. And Jesus said, look, when you do those things, you want to be pure in those things, then don't worry about what everybody else thinks. Focus only on God. And then we got into the part about materialism and where your treasure is and realize that God's people are to be consumed and concerned and worried about nothing else but His kingdom and His righteousness. That tops it all. Everything else falls under that. And then last week, of course, we looked at the fact that those in God's kingdom who say they love God and must realize that love for God and love for people is inseparable. We cannot say we love God without loving people. And we closed last week with chapter 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so this week, we pick it up, and we will see this week the words that none of us ever want to hear. And certainly we've all had those occasions. Some of you, even recently, have heard those words you just didn't want to hear. I uh, I, the words that I never wanted to hear when I was a kid from my dad was, sit down, we need to talk. And it, it's a running joke in our family, and my wife will probably smile about this because she, uh, over the years, as she's gotten to know our family, <clears throat> has understood this, that I could never tell when my dad was serious or when he wasn't. And so it was always, he was very just kind of stone-faced, sit down, we need to talk. And it could be about nothing. And I'm just sitting there just as nervous as I can be. And I'm a little kid thinking, what did I do wrong, you know? Then I'm a teenager thinking, oh, my goodness, I just messed it up now. And then even now he'll do that. Dad will probably listen to this recording at some point and be laughing. But, but now he'll do that, and I'll think, my goodness, you know, I, I, I don't live at home anymore, so it couldn't have been something I did there. I'm just like, what did I do wrong? And it'll just be want to talk about baseball or something or the news or whatever it is. But there were times, of course, when it was serious. But, you know, so now we need to talk. I dreaded those words. I had no idea what was coming. And, and certainly, you know, we've, we've heard other words that, that we don't want to hear. You know, this will only hurt for a second. Right. You know, maybe you've, you know, dreaded words. This is, it's not going to hurt long, just for a second. I, I looked online this week, and, and somebody had written a whole list of things you don't want to hear during surgery. You know, one of which was, oops. Um, <laughs> Or how'd that get in there? You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, things you don't want to hear. But then we, we've, we've had times, and I know many of you have experienced the tragedy of, of someone telling you, you know, I don't love you anymore. Words you never want to hear. How many of you experienced that tragedy? And there are words that we'll see in the Scripture today that none of us ever want to hear. None of us think we're going to hear them, but certainly none of us would ever want to hear them. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to start into the passage that we're looking at today, and then... Go back to the beginning. So look with me at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. If you are not familiar with the Bible, please 
If you brought one, don't let that stop you from looking it up. Go to the table of contents and, and look at it, the book of Matthew, the first in the New Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, don't worry about it. We'll put the verses up on the screen as best we can. I want you to look at verse 23. Jesus says here, Then I will announce to them, the people he's judging, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers, or you evildoers, some versions may say. I mean, think about that. No, none of us ever want to stand before God and have him say, I never knew you. You weren't my disciple. Go away. One day, the Bible says, we'll all be judged, and some of us will hear that. Well, we wouldn't want to hear those words, nor would we want our families, our husbands, our wives, our kids, our grandkids, our brothers, sisters, our, our extended family, our friends, our co-workers, our classmates. We wouldn't want anybody. We would not wish that on anyone. I mean, even the people that you absolutely despise, you say, you know what? Yeah, I'd love for everybody to have the opportunity to have Jesus welcome them into the kingdom one day. None of us would say we want anybody to hear those words. The better truth than us not wanting others to hear those words is the fact that God doesn't want anybody to hear those words. There's a great truth found in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 9. You may want to write the reference down and maybe jot it down or look at it later on. It says in verse 9 of chapter 3, The Lord does not delay in His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you. And here it is, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You think of how desperate you may be as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a grandparent, as a friend, to see those people in your life come to know Jesus and walk with Him. God is more desperate. God loves and cares for sinners. He is broken over them. And I'm thankful that he is because that includes every single one of us. And God in his love didn't just talk about it, but he loved to the point of action and to sacrifice. And as a side note today, I, I wonder, do we share his passion? Do, do we truly understand how much God loves sinners and how in, in the Bible in Galatians it says we are to be imitators of God and as a result we ought to be broken and burdened for lost people who don't know God. The truth is that sadly many people will hear those words, I never knew you, depart from me. And the scriptures we'll see today implies that it's not just those folks out there that you've got in your mind right now to think, yeah, that person and that person, and well, yeah, that person, absolutely, they're going to hear that one day. But the Bible implies that many of us in here will hear those words one day. And you say, well, that's really encouraging. Thanks a lot. Well, I came to church today, had a tough week, needing to be encouraged. You said we we're going to be encouraged, and now all of a sudden, you're telling me that, you know what, some people even in this room might hear from Jesus, depart from me. I'm not here to scare you, not here to make you feel all down and all that kind of stuff. My, my, my intention today is to inform and to hand off the truth. Because the bottom line is that if, if I go to the Scripture and ignore things like this, and it is the most unloving thing as a pastor I could do for you to not present to you to the truth. And so I'm not trying to scare you or make you question a lot of things and, oh, what's going on? We'll get to the bottom of it. But understand that even in church and in churches across America, there are many people that sit in church every single week. And some come and they even volunteer and get involved that will one day stand before the Lord and hear those words. None of us ever want to hear that. And so I want us to look at today how Jesus says we can prevent that from happening. How can we prevent the words that we never want to hear? The first thing he gives us 
In verses 13 to 14 is this, make a choice. You'll see on the back of your bulletin a way you can follow along. That's pretty simple today. There's some space in the middle if you've got some thoughts or want to draw a picture. Whatever you want to do, there's some space to do that this morning. Keep yourself awake. The first thing he says is make a choice. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Maybe you've heard this before. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. He gives us two options. Now, we are the maybe generation. You want to do this or that? Well, maybe, I don't know. We are the indecisive generation. Well, what do you think? I don't know. We, we, we don't like to make decisions, especially, now some of you are very good at this, but especially my generation and below, we're awful at this. I, I see on, on the Internet, there's, a, there's an application called Facebook. Some of you are on there. For every event that somebody posts on there, are you going to attend? Yes, no, or maybe. The biggest group's always maybe. Always. you got about four or five people that say yes, four or five people that say no, and a hundred that say maybe. How can you plan on that? I want to know that. But we are the maybe generation. Jesus puts us and says, you've got to make a choice. He gives us the options. There are two ways. One is hard. One is easy. He says the easy road is broad and spacious. There are lots of people on it. It's got room for diversity of opinions and, and laxity and morality and all this sort of thing. It's complete tolerance and permissiveness. It doesn't matter what you do. There's no boundaries on this road. Just do whatever you think. Operate according to your inclinations. It's a broad road. No boundaries. You're on your own terms, your own desires. So that's the easy way to go. So, but the hard road includes boundaries, both in belief and in behavior. You realize that as Christians, if you and I claim to be Christians, that we are bound to believe and to behave only, only according to what the Bible says. That's it. We cannot trust in what we think as humans because we are broken as humans. We must be transformed only by the Word of God. If we are banking on anything else, we are in sad shape and in great trouble. The Bible says we are bound. These are our boundaries. What will we believe? What God has revealed. What He has told us. How will we behave? How He says to. You may say, well, that's kind of hard. Jesus says the road is hard. He said it's, it's narrow. It, it's not the path that everyone chooses. But He says that His path is freedom and His path is life. And so you say, well, that's sort of a disconnect. Trust Jesus. You'll figure out how it connects. I guarantee you. Those who've experienced Jesus, you know, yes, that sometimes the road is hard. But I'm telling you what, there is freedom, there is life, there is joy, there is fulfillment like nothing else. And he says there's two gates. One gate is wide, the other gate is narrow. The wide gate's easy to find, easy to get started on that one. You can just take everything with you. You don't have to leave anything behind. You take all your sin, all your baggage, all your pride, all that stuff. Just take it with you. But he says the narrow gate is one that you may have to look for a little bit. It may be one that, that you're going to have to try to find. And in fact, when you try to enter it, you've got to leave everything behind. Your sin, you've got to leave self behind. It has the connotation of being like a turnstile. You ever been to a ball game or something like that? Or you got to walk through the turnstile? How many people go through that at one time? One. Very good. Some of you are thinking, is that a trick question? No, it's not. I'm not that smart to come up with trick questions. You guys ought to know that by now. I'm not that good. But one person at a time. And what do you do? You walk up to it, you click it through, and then the next person walks through it. Jesus says that narrow gate is just like that turnstile. You're going to enter it one by one. 
which means that though we can walk down the broad path with lots of people, you ever seen that? Sort of like a herd. Here we all go, off the cliff together. But the narrow gate, you enter one by one, which means that unless you personally make the choice to enter through that narrow gate, nobody else can get you through it. That means that just because your family, maybe even you trace your ancestry back to the founding of this church, unless you make that decision, those ancestors do nothing for you. You must make the choice, as you well know for many of you. Make the choice. Turn that gate. Go through the turnstile. It's got to be you. And in in so doing, it's narrow enough to where you can't take everything with you. Jesus says you're going to make a choice. Are you going to choose yourself and go down the wide path? Are you going to choose Jesus and go through it on the narrow gate? So he says there are two ways. There's two gates. He also says there's two destinations. One is life. The other is destruction. The word destruction just means total loss, total ruin. And certainly he points to eternity spent in hell when he talks about this. You realize that a lot of people have the view of hell that it'd just be kind of a bunch of rowdy people hanging out having a big party. The biblical version of hell is complete solitude, darkness, torment, absolutely nothing good whatsoever for all eternity. It's not a party. It's not a bunch of rowdy people talking about what they did on earth and celebrating the fact that they were rowdy. But it's forever apart from God. And he says that's one destination. Destruction. The other destination, though, is life, both now and for all eternity. You realize in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come so that they can have life to the fullest, and it can start now. Some of you have been through some dark times in your life, and you've seen how Jesus has pulled you along the whole way. You've ridden on his shoulders. He's picked you up. He's carried you, and you've experienced life in the midst of awful circumstances, life to the fullest that you could never get anywhere else. Some of you have experienced that. And one day, the Bible says, one day when we pass from this earth or when Jesus comes back to get us, maybe before that happens, that we will spend forever in true life with him in heaven. So there are two destinations. Both seem to point to life, but only one leads there. And he also says there's two crowds. There's the crowd of many, the crowd of a few. All we need to do is look around our society to find the crowd of the many, especially those of you that are, that are out in the world each and every day. You see that, maybe with the people you work with. If you go to a public school, you see that every single day, the crowd, the many, following that path, doing whatever they want to do. But Jesus says there there are a few that turn their backs on sin and turn themselves toward Jesus, seeing their home not as being on earth but as in heaven. Later on in Luke, somebody would say, well, does that mean that very few people will be in heaven? Jesus gives no inclination of that whatsoever. All he says is, you know what? Strive to find the narrow path and stay on it. Don't worry about how many people is going to be there. You do what you've got to do to be on the narrow path. I have no idea how many people are going to be in heaven. I'm not God. But I know this. It's up to me and it's up to you to choose a narrow path, to be on it, and to to count only on Jesus for salvation. Some of us would say, well, man, that's kind of tough. I'm a maybe person. I'm sort of indecisive. I kind of like both. Attempting to straddle the fence is choosing the wide path. There are a lot of people. We sort of straddle the fence and, well, I'm a Christian this day and, eh, you know, whatever, kind of do my own thing. That's choosing the wide path. You must make a choice, the Bible says. And this isn't about adding Jesus to your life. It's just a layer or sort of a slice of your life. You know, on Sundays or 
Wednesdays. Or, this is my Jesus slice. I mean, this is, this is when I, he's not a slice. He says he's the whole thing. And this isn't about just adding Jesus. This is about exchanging your life for his and letting him live through you. Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He says, I have exchanged my life for him. He says, for me to live is Christ. Christ is my life, he says. It's not about adding on or cutting a slice. It's about the whole thing and exchanging. And so Jesus puts us face to face. And before we move on, I have to ask you, have you made that choice? Where do you stand? As you look at the two paths, where are you? challenge you and encourage you to make a choice to follow Jesus. Choose him and never look back. Some would say, well, I really want to know the right way to go in life. I really want to, to do, to, to be on the right path. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way. You want to know the right path? Choose Jesus. You don't have to search any longer. Choose him. Some people would say, you know, I really want to know what's right. I, I want to know truth. I want to know what's right in life. Jesus says in the same verse, I am the truth. You don't have to search for truth anymore. Jesus says he is truth. And some say, man, I really want to experience life as best as it can be, as good as it can possibly be. Jesus says, in closing that verse, I am the life. You want to know what life is all about? Choose Jesus. And he puts a choice even in that verse. He says, nobody comes to God except through me, him talking there. If you want life, you want truth. You want to know the way, it says choose Jesus. You know, it's interesting that given these two options, given the choice between life and destruction, let's think about it. Put yourself in somebody's shoes today that maybe hasn't made that choice. And you hear that and you say, why on earth would anybody choose destruction? And sitting in this room today, some of us will be face to face with, am I going to choose life or am I going to choose destruction? Life or death? Nobody in their right mind, after hearing all of that, would choose destruction, and yet some people still do. Why? Why on earth would somebody choose to be on the path that leads to destruction? It makes no sense. You have people in your family that are like that, people that you work with that are like that. It just breaks your heart to think, what on earth are you doing? Why? Well, Jesus gives us a little bit of hint toward why maybe some people, even though they might know what Jesus says that eventually it's going to end up in total destruction for all eternity, why they may choose, why they may have trouble choosing the right path. And one thing he says, it's because they do not reject false teaching. They don't reject false teaching. The following verses will help us understand this. They don't reject false teaching. They don't reject false teachers. Look at verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them. By their fruit. Now, that's a mouthful. And you think, what in the world does that mean? And Jesus simply indicates that those who are false teachers, those who proclaim a false message are very, very dangerous because for those folks who are deciding which path will I choose, if they hear some sort of false teaching or follow a false teacher, they are led down the path that leads to destruction. And it may seem all right at first, but then we realize, and we know story after story after story, 
of really bizarre sorts of false teaching that started off as being something really sort of euphoric and, 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 and absolutely perfect and then led to absolute destruction. We know stories of that. And then there are other times when it's subtle. And so he says, how can we then recognize false teachers and false teaching? Because some of us give ourselves to those sorts of things. And he says, you'll know them, verses 16 and verse 20, he says, you'll know them by their fruit. What does he mean by that? Well, he, he, you can easily apply a few tests to the people that are leading you. A few tests to the people that you allow yourself to sit under, that you watch on television, whose books you read, and so on. One test is character. You may want to jot these things down for the next time that you are reading a book or watching a television program or something like that. And One is character. How does a person live? How do they live? The fruit of the Spirit, the Bible says, must be evident in their life. They must mirror the life of Jesus Christ. Humility, compassion, desperation for the lost, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. The the Bible says in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You test the character first of the people that are leading you. This is a test for me. And a test for anyone who we allow ourselves to be taught by. And I tell you what, this is a test that I must apply to myself each and every day. And it's something that's easy to forget, but I realize if I want to be the true kind of teacher the Bible's talking about, this has got to, I've got to have the right character. That ought to be the single most important thing in my life is what, what's my character. And so as those folks that we listen to or that we listen or we sit under or whatever, We must see them imitating Jesus. The opposite of that we'll see very easily. Impurity, anger, self-centeredness, power-seeking, all that kind of stuff. We we can be assured those people are false teachers. The ultimate question sort of is whose glory do they seek? Who are they in it for, themselves or for God? So you evaluate character. You also test their teaching. What do they say? Jesus makes it clear and the Gospels, that what's in your heart is eventually going to come out. We've talked about that before. And so who they are is eventually going to come out through their teaching. False teaching, we know, is not a pure Gospel. False teaching of ignores or avoids those negative subjects like sin, like man's hopelessness apart from Jesus Christ, like man's need for repentance and absolute submission to God. False teaching sort of ignores that. Just as, well, you know what? It's no big deal. God loves you. Yes, absolutely, God loves you, but sin is a big deal. Sin keeps you from God. We are hopeless apart from Him. Without repentance and placing our trust in Him, we have no shot for salvation. False teaching is going to avoid that. False teaching tells people basically what they want to hear. There's an incredible passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy. You'll see these verses on the screen in just a second. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5, Paul, who is writing this, says to Timothy, his understudy, his, his, his son in the faith, so to speak, his, his guy he's trying to train up, Timothy, here's what you need to be about, he says, before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. There's the pure gospel. And by his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly charge you, proclaim the message. Other versions say, preach the word. Preach the word. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. He's not talking about fire and brimstone. He's not talking about throwing stuff at the congregation. 
He's not talking about any of that. He's saying, look, they need the Word of God. We are desperate without the Word of God. We have to have it. And he says, so in doing that, rebuke. If need be, show folks where they've gone wrong, but point them to the Scripture. Correct. Help set them back up. But do that with encouragement, with patience, with teaching. Then he says, for the time will come, verse 3, when they will not tolerate sound doctrine or right teaching. You think we live in that time now? Folks don't want to hear the truth. You realize that most of the time when we draw a line in the sand and say, this is what God says, that all of a sudden now we are intolerant? Now we have no love or compassion for other people? Paul says that time will come, and I think we're living in it. But according to their own desires, most people operate that way, will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new or to hear what they want to hear. We've got a ton of teachers in America who teach people and preach to people only what they want to hear. Largely, I think, because they're afraid that maybe folks will turn away from them. They won't be as popular. Or maybe because that doesn't get them the book deal or the conference deal or whatever it may be that they're longing for. And he says, verse 4, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, keep a clear head about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Unfortunately, we have collected for ourselves people who tell us we're okay. We're just fine, just the way you are. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you, and it's no big deal. We are not okay. But Jesus does love us, and he'll make us okay. He's the only chance we have. It doesn't negate the love of God because we are sinful people. It simply means we are more desperate and dependent now on the love of God than ever we realized before. We're not okay, but God loves us and will make us okay if we place our trust in Jesus Christ. We don't need just how-to guides for every single thing in life. We don't need to, to hear that God really won't judge people for their sin. We need to know the truth. The Bible says you'll know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. So we don't need a watered-down version of the truth. We don't need to be told that if you give your life to Jesus, that everything you've ever wanted is at your fingertips. You name it and claim it, it's yours. We don't need that. It's false teaching. Because if the Bible is not true everywhere, if the gospel is not true in every situation, and it's not true anywhere. I read an article this week on the Internet about how North Korea says publicly executed a Christian woman last month for distributing the Bible, which is banned in the communist nation. Her parents, her husband, her three children were then sent to political prison. You tell me that the gospel that says if you give your life to Jesus, you'll never experience another problem. Anything you want is at your fingertips. You tell me how it's true for her. But I guarantee you this, and she is with Jesus right now because the gospel is true. And because it may not give you every single, single thing you want at your fingertips right now, but it will give you eternal life. And it will give you peace in the middle of something as bizarre and heinous as that. So if the gospel doesn't work for her, then it's not true anywhere. And so we need to know the truth. But the problem comes in, not only do we give ourselves to teachers who claim to be Christian but are not necessarily true teachers, but we also give in to popular thought and just sort of the prevailing opinion, I read an article this week that included an interview with the actor Brad Pitt. 
who's a famous guy and revered and thought to be pretty cool. And he's a guy that he, he's in a relationship and uh, with, a, with, a, with an actress, who Angelina Jolie, and they've got all these kids and all that. They've got like eight kids, I think. And, and, and he's sort of the guy that people are looking to as, hey, he's, he's somebody that you can follow. The question was this, have you found happiness in life? And he nods and says, yeah, I'm on the path I want to be on. Next question, do you believe in God? And he smiles, no, no, no. Next question, is your soul spiritual? Again, no, no, no. He said, I'm probably 20% atheist and 80% agnostic. I don't think anyone really knows. You'll either find out or not when you get there, but until then, there's no point thinking about it. He may not be the preacher that you listen to every week, but there are times when we give ourselves to popular thought and just general opinion, and we allow ourselves to be trained under false teaching. I may or may not be the greatest preacher that you'll ever listen to, and that's okay. But I want you to know that my commitment first to God and primarily to Him and then to you is to preach the Word of God. That's it. I've got nothing else to count on. None of, none of the slick examples or anything I come up with is going to top the Word of God. Now, I'll try to do it as creatively and as, and as energetically as I possibly can. I'm not going to just try to be boring and say, well, let me read the Scripture and let's go home. But at the same time, I want you to know that I am trying as best I can to discipline myself each and every week to preach what the Bible says, to let it speak for itself. Because if I go to the Scripture with an idea for a great sermon and say, okay, I need to find a verse for that because, boy, isn't that a great idea. I've gotten it backwards. I'm now making the Scripture say what I want it to say to fit my great idea. Instead, I need to go to the Scripture and say, God, how can this sermon fit into your Scripture? God, you let your scripture shape this sermon throughout. Some of you may say, why on earth have we spent the last two months on three chapters? Because I want the scripture to speak for itself. Certainly there are times, and we'll get into this, where we may respond to a need. You know, this is just a need in our community. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. But overall, I want us to see how the scripture is timeless and how as we just walk through it, it touches every part of our lives. We don't have to pick and choose. And so I want to be the person who preaches the Scripture, and I'll make this commitment to you as well, that each and every time, if you bring someone who does not know Jesus, they'll hear the gospel. They'll hear about Him. They'll hear about an opportunity to give their lives to Him. So you can judge and test a teacher according to his teaching, according to his character, and then finally according to their influence. What do his followers do? Those who live rightly and teach rightly will produce people who do the same. So what is it, those people that you listen to? If you do what they tell you to do, what, what would your life be like? The influence of the teacher is incredibly important, and we are taught to reject false teachers, to reject false teaching, because truth matters. You may need to remove an influence in your life because it is false teaching. There may be a program, a book, a person that simply needs to say, you need to say, I'm not going to sit under them anymore. Pray it's not me, but you know, I understand what, you're, what you maybe need to do and say, look, this is not true teaching. This is not what the Bible says. And I'm not trying to make you suspicious of everyone. But I want to encourage you and challenge you. Know the Bible and be discerning. Know it. And then test everything against it. Does that really say what the Bible says? 
So false teachers and false teaching can lead people away from the narrow path that leads to life. And maybe you've sort of allowed yourself to go down that, that road with false teaching. Maybe now you see it. But there's one more reason that Jesus gives about why people choose the path of destruction. And in verses 21 to 22, we, we get this warning from him, and it's this. Live it. Don't just say it. Live it. Don't just say it. Look at those two verses. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? These were folks who said all the right things and they showed up at all the right times and they put on the front, here I am and I've done all the right things. They may have even walked the aisle and taken the preacher's hand and said, hey, I'm saying that I'm going to give my life to Jesus, but their obedience did not follow. Jesus says the only one who will enter is the one who does the will of my Father. Not everybody who just says it must be lived out. They were counting on religious talk, religious activity. But Jesus made it clear their hearts were not obedient to God. Later on in the scripture, he'll talk to the Pharisees and about them, and he'll say, they praise me or they honor me, they acknowledge me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Certainly Jesus says and affirms, and we know throughout the New Testament, that we must first confess, we must first say it. And we must first believe in our hearts. But then Jesus quickly says, you must also conform to who Jesus is, to become like him. Obedience is evidence of salvation. Obedience does not save you. Apart from God's grace and you're placing your trust in him, you may not be saved, the Bible says. But those who are truly converted, their lives will be forever different. Obedience gives great evidence of salvation. I'm not saying perfection, simple obedience, day in and day out, saying, God, I'm, I'm here for you. Are there times when we go astray? Certainly, come back to God. Get on the path of obedience again. But Jesus makes it clear, don't just say it, live it. Because there are a lot of people who just say it, whose hearts are never given truly to Jesus Christ. Daily obedience, if you're struggling with doubt about your salvation, that sometimes is a thing that folks can deal with. Daily obedience will help eliminate any doubt about your salvation. How can I really know? What do you do on a daily basis? How is your life oriented? Is it oriented toward Jesus? Be confident that he has saved you and keep going. Obedience is evidence of salvation. These people merely talked about it. And that's why they had to depart. Because they never lived it. Their hearts were never truly given. And so life with Jesus, unlike popular thought wants to be, is not about your best life now, because your best life is yet to come. But it's about experiencing Jesus in everything that you do, his love, his grace, his mercy, his joy, his fulfillment, his eternal life promise to be on the path that leads to life. That's what it's all about. And so for some of us today, we say, well, what do I do? And Jesus made it very clear. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, here's how you can come after me. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, you want to be my disciple? You want to get on that path? You want to be sure that you're following me? He says, first, deny yourself. Make a choice. 
Is it going to be self or is it going to be Jesus? What's it going to be? He says, then take up your cross. Reject that false teaching. The cross is the gospel. Don't ignore it. Embrace it. And understand that without the cross, there is no forgiveness. Reject that false teaching. And then follow me, he says. Live it. Don't just say it. Follow me each and every day of your life as best you can. Total devotion to Jesus. So some of us today need to do what it takes to avoid hearing those words that you never want to hear. Some of us need to make that choice. Maybe for the very first time, maybe just as an act of renewal to say, here I am again, Lord, and I'm coming after you. Some of us may also need to get busy or involved with the lives of other people who are on the path that leads to destruction. They're not on the path that leads to life so that they won't have to hear those words either. And so evaluate where you stand with Jesus today. Which path are you on? Which gate have you chosen? What's your destination? Is it life or destruction? Which crowd are you with, the many or the few? Are you rejecting false teaching and seeking out only what the Bible says? And are you living it, not just saying it? So have you made that choice? And if so, if you say, that's where I am, my next question is, are you broken over those who haven't made that, who haven't put themselves on that path? And will you be broken and burdened for those people? Maybe speak up in their lives or invite them to church or pray for them. In just a moment, as we will stand and we'll play through a song and be dismissed here in just a minute, Don't leave today without making the choice of Jesus over self. Without getting yourself, if need be, on that path. Some of us today would need to respond to the Lord in a way that says, you know, Pastor, man, I've never done that in my life. And maybe everybody thinks I have, but I've never done that. Maybe in just a moment you'd be bold enough. The Bible says that if you will not acknowledge Jesus before people, he's not going to acknowledge you before his heavenly Father. Pretty strong stuff, but Jesus wants us to live it publicly. Maybe you'd be bold enough to say, you know what, I'm coming down that aisle. I'm going to take my hand and let's pray together and let's get it settled today. Or maybe you're the person who says, you know, I've been been saying it a long time. Boy, I know all the right words to say, but I tell you, my heart's not any different. I'm going to tell you, I'm as cold inside as I've ever been because I've just been saying it. And you may shock your family and you may floor the entire church, but I tell you what, I would rather have that happen than to face those words that say, depart from me for I never knew you. And so what's your choice? I pray that your choice will be to give your life completely to Jesus. It's the path that leads to life. It's the one that leads to him. He's there with you on it. So leave today having made the choice to give your life completely to Jesus or to renew that commitment to him with a fresh passion for him and for those lost people who don't know him. So as we close in a minute, if you need to make your way down, I'll pray with you. Be happy to talk with you. We've got plenty of other people. Grab somebody and bring them with you. If you're scared to death, grab somebody. Grab a whole crowd of people and bring them on. That's fine. Don't leave today without having made that decision. Let's pray. Well, we know that the path is simple, but it's not easy. And so, God, we pray for your strength to live each day on the path that leads to life. God, we're thankful that you can enable us to do that. That we don't have to guess at whether or not we are saved. God, that we can know 
So, Lord, I pray that today we'd make that choice. Or maybe we'd just simply affirm that choice that we've already made. God, that we reject the false teaching and we'd seek out only the pure gospel. And, Lord, that we would not be people who just say we love you, but we live it out. And may that be the kind of church that you build here at Elm Grove. One based upon truth and one based upon commitment. Lord, may those who have already made that decision walk away even more confident than before, more joyous to be on the path that leads to life. Lord, help us to make the right decision today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.